This is the FS Tech Podcast. Hello and welcome to this latest FS Tech Podcast. I'm Jonathan Easton, editor of FS Tech, and joining me today to discuss the ever-relevant topic of cybersecurity and threat prevention is Dr. Trevor Human, Director of Professional Services at HID Global. While we know that cyber crimes are a reality that cyber professionals in the financial sector had to and will continue to live with, bank fraud teams have long been focusing on analysing instances of fraud after they happened. There is, however, now growing momentum for financial institutions to take a more proactive approach to preventing cyber threats before they can take hold. This is especially vital given a recent Bank of England survey of top banking executives in the UK, where 74% of respondents deemed cyber attacks to be the biggest risk to the financial sector in both the short and the long term. That biannual survey, taken at the end of 2022, also saw the number of respondents who believe their company is at high risk of attack massively growing from 31% in the first half of the year to 62% in the second. Meanwhile, the number of top banking execs who believe that cyber threat was low decreased by 20% to just 3%. An overwhelming majority of 83% believed that cyber risk in the financial sector had increased over the preceding year. It's doubtful that the eventual follow-up for H1 2023, which will be published in the coming months, will paint much of a different picture. So, with cyber threat anxieties at a high, what can FIs do about it? And how can they prevent cyber attacks on their infrastructure? To discuss this subject with me today is Dr. Trevor Human, Director of Professional Services at HID Global. Trevor, who holds a PhD in Applied Mathematics from City University of London, is responsible for the leadership and direction of the HID Global Professional Services Organization for the authentication business area, providing expert level consulting to address technical and regulatory requirements. And he joins me now. Thank you so much for being here today, Trevor. Thanks for the introduction, Jonathan. Very pleased to be here. So to, to just set the stage, what's your view on the current cyber threat landscape facing financial institutions? Well, obviously, this is an ever, ever growing area, right, with many new threats coming up every day. Um, very sophisticated threats looking for vulnerabilities in a financial institution's infrastructure, be it at a network level, you know, highly sophisticated attack vectors trying to find their way in. But to be honest, in my experience, one of the leading causes of, of fraud for financial institutions isn't as sophisticated as that. It's more around the consumer, um, using the consumer as a way in and uh, this is through a phenomenon we all know of as phishing or social engineering. So social engineering, it's, it's really um, a mechanism that's more like a numbers game as opposed to a, a technical piece of malware. If you send out an email to a million people asking for their banking details, the odds are at least a few are gonna respond and, and that's all you need really as an attacker. So what, what sort of measures can financial institutions put in place to ensure that fraud teams are focusing their efforts on issues that are harder to prevent? And what are some of those issues? You've mentioned, uh, you've mentioned social engineering, but what are some of the other issues? 
Well, through phishing attacks, you know, there's a lot of talk about educating the consumer. This has proved to be really difficult because you used to get um, phishing emails, you know, directing you to a fake site, impersonating the bank site. These looked pretty obvious that they were fake. But nowadays, you know, they're, they're exact replicas. There's a, a secure SSL certificate associated with the site. It's actually very difficult to to identify that it's fake. So there's a lot of buzz around educating consumers to look out for that. But I think this is a little unfair on the consumer. I think you need to take a bit more responsibility as a financial institution and put some strong security in place that takes that burden away. So if there's a way to you know, mitigate against phishing attacks, as opposed to hoping that the consumer you know, is educated enough to avoid these things, I would definitely go that way. So one of the better solutions today is around um, authorizing transactions through a secure channel, an independent secure channel. You might hear the phrase, what you see is what you sign. So I'm a strong believer in this, right? Um, if you have a phishing attack that says, we believe your account's been compromised, click this link, to log in and verify yourself, most people, or at least a few people, are going to click the link, enter their password. Maybe they get a SMS one-time PIN that they enter as a second factor. But in fact, all they've done is handed their credentials to this attacker's fake site. And with that, that person's got in with the password. Maybe they've changed the, the phone number with the SMS PIN, and they've effectively taken over your account. Right, so pretty easy way in, but if you have um, this secure channel that's informing the client in real time, you are about to change your phone number with this PIN, you know, tap here to approve or reject. Consumers almost educated at that point, right? You're keeping the channel specific to say, you have this strong what you see is what you sign credential. If ever you get a message from us saying, can you authorize this? You just need to read and make sure that you're authorizing the right action. So this is a very strong mechanism to mitigate against these social engineering attacks. That's one mechanism you've mentioned there, which is definitely something which uh, sh should, should be a focus going forward. But what would you say can be done to prevent fraud across the entire user's journey? Yeah, so that's where things get a little bit complicated, right? It's it's one thing getting the secure credential in the hand of the consumer, but how do you get it there? How do you get it there securely? So you need to think about the full user journey from onboarding to credential enrollment and credential management. I've seen it all the time. A bank, for example, will, will want to adopt a secure credential like this that can sign digitally sign transactions through a independent secure channel. But then they go with some weak credential for putting that credential in the user's hand. For example, they'll give the uh, a person access to a website where they log in with a password and an SMS one-time PIN in order to activate the secure device. Well, that means an attacker can go leverage that weak entry point to activate their own device and again, take the account over. So you have to be very careful about things like onboarding and um, 
you know, like real-time continuous authentication so that you can build up trust around the, the entire solution, every entry point. There's an old phrase that, you know, you're only as strong as the weakest link in the chain. And that's exactly right. So through onboarding, you need to have a, a secure mechanism to be able to verify the user's identity. And if that's strong enough to reuse in the case of a lost device, for example, then you're also protecting another entry point. But it, it all comes together with additional mechanisms that can continuously measure the trust in a user or a user session. So, you know, we have solutions where you can monitor users' behavior through a web or mobile session. You can record a unique device fingerprints to understand that this is a trusted device. You can monitor things like geolocation to know that, you know, the account seems to have been taken over because this user just logged in from London, but seconds later, we're seeing a transaction made from, I don't know, somewhere in Africa. So there's various mechanisms. You need to uh, take all of these into account. And, and I think the key, in my opinion, is to, as I said before, take the burden off the consumer. It should be the bank's responsibility to secure all of these entry points. Then you can educate the consumer on a more narrow channel, right? So that they understand, this is what I use to authorize things. This is my secure device. I need to protect it. Um, if I lose it, it might be a bit cumbersome to get a replacement, but that's got my best interest at heart. You can't educate consumers on all the various threat attacks out there. In fact, you know, banks shouldn't even really make that their problem. They should partner with security vendors as trusted advisors to continuously evolve their solution to mitigate those new threats. I just want to see at this point, go back to something that you mentioned in the, the introduction, because we've gone through a few more technologically uh, leaning uh, methods there. Um, but something which is, you know, as as long as there have been people uh, and as long as there's been things that people have that other people want, uh, social engineering has been, you know, rife. Uh, so how prominent uh, is social engineering in 2023? And how can financial institutions educate their customers on this method of fraud? Well, it's extremely prominent, right? And this is uh, what I was mentioning earlier. So it's it's not that sophisticated. The problem is most, most consumers using banking channels, be it web or mobile, today are using these fairly weak credentials like a password, maybe an SMS with a one-time PIN or an email. Um, some even use hardware tokens, right, that can generate these one-time passwords. And banks will always say to you, hey, we'll never ask you for your password, so never divulge this to anyone. That one always makes me chuckle a little bit because every time you log in, they're asking for the, your password, right? It might not be someone over the phone asking you to state it, but you're typing it in, you're being asked for it through this channel. So these phishing attacks, it's very easy to simulate that journey, right? It's very easy to send an email out to the, the user base saying your account's been compromised, log into the site, it's a fake site, they're asking you for your password, but in exactly the same way that your bank does. 
So it's very difficult to protect against that. And that's why I think, you know, it, it's really a refresh on this. You've got to think, let's not let our customers' passwords be compromised. Because if you get hold of that, you can access digital services through any channel. The better approach would be something like this secure token, which runs in the user's phone, that effectively has a private key that only the user can access because it's stored on their physical device and it's protected. It can be protected with a password or a pin, but that's not something that can be used through other channels, right? Because it's device specific. So it's really an evolution of uh, moving away from these legacy two-factor authentication mechanisms to, to something that's you know, considered phishing and, and social engineering specifically. You know, think of it like this as well. If you live in an area which is prone to house break-ins, you can install the most sophisticated security systems, um, AI cameras and security gates with whatever it might be, electric fencing, beams, alarm systems, all the rest. But ultimately, the, the true user or the person who occupies that residence will have a pin to turn these systems off when they want to walk in the door. And that's why social engineering is so difficult because it's not the physical security that you've put in place. It's protecting the user from giving away that, that pin that gets access to the household. It's an interesting kind of conundrum in, in a certain sense of taking the onus of the, uh, of the user by knowing their devices, knowing their behavior, and really taking a lot of the onus from them. But how can you identify that trusted user behavior while still maintaining respect for their privacy? Yeah, so the, the solutions we put in place uh, create the behavioral profile, right? So let's say, say, for example, you're using your mobile phone, you use it every day, probably in your hand, you know, 20 hours of the day, uh, doing various different things. We're not constantly monitoring it all the time. But when you use, say, your banking app, we can understand different patterns, we, we, we can monitor the sensors in the device, you know, everyone holds the phone slightly differently and you have a, a very light shake in your hand. These are unique. Uh, the way you move your finger around the screen, the way you type your kind of keystroke patterns, there's no PRI here. We're not um, capturing personal information and storing this, but we can build a profile around the, the patterns that you, you physically use the device around. And um, this is where frictionless authentication comes into play and you know, removing the burden from the consumer. If for some reason your device, which is your secure credential to access many different services gets stolen and the device pin is compromised, potentially through a phishing attack or social engineering, then you know you could still be saved in a sense from account takeover or you know transferring your funds through these behavioral analysis mechanisms because we would understand that this doesn't seem to be the true user that's operating this device right now you know the behavior is different and this presents a risk 
and you know we could decide or the bank can then decide not to perform that transaction off the back of that alert the fraud team try to contact the true user to address it so it's a very important factor right because nothing's foolproof and it's really about bundling all of this together to protect as i said all of the entry points yeah so you mentioned there that uh, mobile phone usage, you know, is ever increasing. And um, I'm not sure if my phone is in my hand 20 hours a day, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's not that <laughs> far off. Um, but so in the growth of uh, the growth of mobile usage has also seen the explosion of uh, growth in mobile banking. And uh, just to wrap us up, I'd take, like to take a look at that and uh, ask you how the uh, emergence of mobile banking has whether it's significantly significantly impacted the current fraud landscape and how can fraud teams continue to evolve with mobile in mind? Yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty evident, right, that mobile has taken the world by storm. If you look at emerging markets, for example, how many people in the general population have a personal laptop or PC? Um, not many, right? I would hazard a guess of less than 5%. But how many of those people have a mobile phone? Pretty much all of them. So, you know, not only banks, but all vendors have, have identified this and all services are being made available through the mobile channel. This is critically important, especially in uh, emerging markets. So the other thing that becomes challenging is you don't control these mobile devices, you know, the, someone may let their child use their phone to play games, for example, of the Play Store. They click links on social media sites. They don't really know when malware is being installed and that could be key loggers, things of this nature. So it's very difficult to assume that, and this is also why I say you can't really rely on educating consumers it's pretty easy to get something in there and, and bypass people even with the best of knowledge in the field. So yeah, mobile is definitely presenting many risks um, in terms of fraud for financial institutions, but at the same time, it's allowing these institutions to make many new services available and expand to these, these uh, larger markets. So it's critically important that they adopt the security measures that will allow their consumers to interact securely. It's a very, very interesting perspective there, Trevor. And unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Um, to discover more about HD's work in cybersecurity, you can head to hidglobal.com. Thank you very much again to my guest, Dr. Trevor Human, Director of Professional Services at HID Global, and to you for listening. Belfast Tech. I'm Jonathan Easton. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the FS Tech Podcast.